All right. Hey, before we start, like for the real part, I'm, I'm Lindsay today. Lower your expectations. I haven't had enough coffee. I got nothing. I have no prizes or t-shirt cannons or anything. Um, but I do have a couple of quick announcements before. Oh, there's no worship today. Were y'all wondering? <laughs> Were y'all like, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, we don't want Chris to sing worship. That would make everyone go away. That's not a thing we're going to do. Um, but I do want to make a couple quick announcements before we get into Hebrews 10. Um, who was able to come to the IF weekend? Who came two weeks? Oh, look at you guys. Yay, I'm so glad. Well, if you'll remember, on Saturday, we had a little thing about IF table. And the idea of IF table is just basically community. Like, um, and it's kind of interesting how this week we're going to talk a lot about how God has very specific intention for community, for believers and community. And so if table is a concept where basically you just get six women together and you got four questions and you meet for two hours and you just talk about stuff. No pressure. I mean, if you want to cook, that's cool. If you want to have Chick-fil-A nuggets, that's more cool, I think. Um, you know, but anyway, if table is something we're trying to help um, orchestrate here. So if you're interested in getting involved, and you know the cool part is, it's like you can have a table. Who's had an if table? I know Susan has. Has anybody else? Ha oh, Jessica has. So sometimes, you know, it becomes this thing where you're like, it's not just your posse, you know, it's not just your people. Sometimes you pray about it and God's like, hey, how about your neighbor? Hey, how about that girl? How about, and so it becomes this really cool thing where it's not just um, your people, but maybe God's going to give you more people. So think about that. And if you're interested, you can email Dawn and she's, we're trying to kind of help um, get those things going if you want help. And her email is this, Dawn, D-A-W-N, at rpcstaff.org. Okay, so what Jessica just said is, if you're interested in finding out more, they're actually considering getting together a big giant if table for a whole bunch of people all together, and that'll be like a super big table. Okay, cool. Um, one other thing I wanted to let you guys know, the women's retreat, our retreat called Anchored, where we go to Pine Cove. Y'all, we go to a retreat, like we retreat, like we go. Like last year, I was in the woods in a hammock the whole time. Nobody even knew I was even there. I just hung out, right? Mary's like, yes. It is a retreat for like for real, where you really get to retreat and recharge. And it's at Pine Cove, and there are a few spots still available. And that's May 5th through 7th. And if you want to check into that, you can go to rpc.fm slash, and I always argue about this. Is it forward slash or back? I don't know. One of the slashes, just try them both, anchored, anchored. Which is so cool because we're studying Hebrews. Remember the anchor thing? It's like, it's, it's cool. God's cool like that. Okay, so that's all for the announcement. Sorry, Lindsay will be back and it'll be way more exciting. I'm going to pray and we're going to start on Hebrews chapter 10. So pray with me. Father God, um, we come to you today and um, we thank you. We thank you that we get to spend community together. What a beautiful thing. Um, I, I just love this. I love getting to come here with other friends who are just trying to figure this out. And so, God, will you honor that desire? Will you honor our time today? Um, some of this stuff is so hard and so heavy and honestly really difficult to talk about. And some of it is, is, um, is going to leave us with more questions maybe than answers. And so, God, will you just show us 
um, that it's okay to not have all the answers. And God, will you just remind us that through it all, no matter what, no matter if we have the answers or not, that you are so very present in our lives and you have so much to say about who you are. So today, God, will you show us who you are? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, your new favorite chapter of the Bible. Except for that last part. Hebrews chapter 10. We've spent nine chapters, nine chapters up until this point, learning about what the author of Hebrews wants us to know about who Jesus is. Basically, right? Jesus is better than what? Better than angels. Better than Moses. Better than high priests. You guys rock. What else? Better than other sacrifices. Better than covenant. Anything else? What was the thing? The tent. Remember the whole thing? Last week. Better tabernacle. We have laid a foundation for nine chapters about who Jesus is. And now we're moving. Chapter 10 moves us into this whole new thing. And it's going to be this, this, this challenge of how do we apply this foundation that the author of Hebrews has laid out for us. Okay? What are we going to do? Now what are we going to do with it? And so that's where chapter 10 takes us. Listen. Um, This week I don't have slides, so you're just going to have to put on your listening ears and write these things down. But we're going to break chapter 10 down into three parts, okay? Because you know me, I'm all about the outline. Three parts. The first part is going to be chapter, I mean, excuse me, verses 1 through 18. And we're going to talk about that permanent and complete sacrifice. Permanent and complete sacrifice. And then the second part, we're going to move on to um, verses 19 through 25, and that's accepting the invitation. Accepting the invitation. There's a very specific invitation that we are given there, and we, this is about accepting it. And then the last part is verses 26 through 39, and it's rejecting the invitation. Rejecting. Remember that fun part, that awesome stuff we love to read about, wrath and justice? Good times. Well, we're going there, so buckle up. Permanent and complete sacrifice. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to chapter 10 of Hebrews. We're going to move through this first part real quickly because the first 10 verses are what? Repetitive, aren't they? It's a lot of the stuff that we've already been talking about, about this sacrifice. Listen, um, verses 1 through 4 kind of lay it out for us and kind of get our hearts ready for what we're going to what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to read those to you. So chapter 10, verse 1 starts this way. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. A lot of that we've been, we've been talking about for a few weeks, right? When we talk about the priesthood, when we've talked about the tabernacle and all that happens with those sacrifices, some of that, you know, find, find me, you know, a few weeks ago, say, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, I would have read that and been like, what? And now, right, we're a little more enlightened because the author of Hebrews has kind of laid it out for us. 
But all that being said, he's still trying to make clear the point that the old covenant was a temporary situation. It was a temporary system. Okay? It was a temporary system that needed a permanent solution. Think about this for a minute. When the old covenant was happening, it was this repetitive, continual system, right? Remember we talked about how the offering, the sin offering that was happening would happen how many times a year? Thank you. I held my finger up. Come on. Seriously, people. I completely told you the answer. It happened one time. One time a year would be this big production of this sin offering. Remember, and the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and the, the blood. And remember, it would sprinkle. We talked about it. One time, and then 364 more days of sin, 364 more days of conscious understanding that we are not worthy. And then we wait for that day again, right? So it's a continual cycle that has to happen over and over and over. Well, now what we're trying to understand is that now we have this complete, this one-time, complete and permanent sacrifice that only happens this one time and it's done. I thought about this as I was going through this because, you know, whenever you think about the sacrifice of Jesus, the first thing you think about is a maroon 1979 Cutlass Supreme, right? Right? (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. That was my first car, and since it was weird since I was only born in 1989, but whatever. No, um, I had this old car. It was my first car. And this is what was crazy about this car. It, it got me where I needed to go, okay? Bless my mom, you know. Here I am, this 15-year-old kid, and she gives me car keys. And I just, I'm, if she's not here today, I just, I want to hug her because that was crazy. But the problem with this car was it had a wheel and it had tires and it had seats and it had a radio, of course. But what it, what, it, what it didn't do very well is once I would go more than, say, 15 miles, without exception, it was consistent, I will say this, about 15 miles, stuff, steam started kind of rising out of the hood, 100% of the time, guys. And I knew, okay, I got to find a Texaco and pull in, and I've got to get my handy towel that I leave in the back seat 100% of the time, and I've got to open this thing, and I've got to pop the thing, and I've got to pour water in, and it steams, and everything, and I wait. No more steam. All right, we're good. We're cool. I'll close it. We keep going. Every 15 miles. I promise you, if you've been in Louisville for a long time, the Texaco on Fox Avenue in Stimmons, that's where I was hanging out with my maroon 1979 Cutlass Supreme. And it had velvety seats. It was so cute. Anyhow, I was constantly pouring water into this broken system that was in my car. And you know what? It never dawned on me. It might have dawned on the adults in my life to maybe get it fixed, but I'm like, no, I'm cool. I just pour water in and I just keep going over and over and over. I had a temporary fix, but I didn't have a permanent solution. If I would have gotten it fixed by a repairman, I probably wouldn't have had to stop every 15 miles and pour water in my Cutlass Supreme. Amen. So see, of course, that brings us to Jesus. Whatever, guys. Here's the deal. Verses 1 through 10 tell us this, that we need a permanent solution, not a temporary fix that has to happen over and over. You can draw a little Cutlass Supreme if you want. Those of you that are babies, you just Google that. There's real cool looking. Essentially, what we needed, what we've been told now for 10 chapters, is that we need to get rid of the continual sacrifices and trust the one permanent sacrifice that took care of everything. 
It's interesting. There's a rhetorical question that's kind of coming up here. Because remember, we're talking, again, I know I say it every week, but we need to hear it. We, he, the author is talking to these folks that are so entrenched in this, in this ritual of pouring water in their cutlass supreme. They've been doing it for so long. That's all they know. And it's almost like this rhetorical question saying, hey, you know, you, would you still need to do this over and over if we could take care of it one time and there was no more sin? Like, what if it was gone? Because you know what didn't happen when they did the sacrifice once a year? You know what didn't happen? Sin was not removed, was it? Because no man can remove sin. No man can remove sin. In fact, in verse 3, what do we know? What do we learn about what happens to that sin? Verse 3 says this, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. You know what that sacrifice did? It was a reminder. It wasn't a removal. It was a reminder of their unworthiness, and it was a reminder of their sinfulness. And so it never removed sin. It reminded them of it. Wow. Verse 10 kind of goes on if you keep following down. I know you've read it this week. Verse 10 says this, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, the difference with the Jesus Christ thing, the once and for all, the coming and being permanent, was that no longer did we have to remember that sin because it was removed. It was gone. You didn't have to have that burden of going back and filling the water thing back up because it was done. It was fixed. That's what we need to understand, permanent. Verses 11 through 18 tell us one more thing about this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this better sacrifice. It tells us that it was complete, that it was complete. Remember what happened, and you guys, you know I say this every single time because I love it. Verse 18, it says, um, what did Jesus do after he did what he had to do? What did he do? Where did he end up? He sat down four times. Four times we hear that he sat down. And why did he sit down? Because it was finished. That's right. It was finished. Verse 18 tells us this. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. So Jesus has done it. He's sitting down. It is complete. It's permanent and it's complete. And that's what we need to understand. And now he moves us into what do we do with that? How do we apply all this nine and a half chapters? And how do we apply it to the way we live out our lives? That's where we go now. And so verses 19 through 25, that's where we're going. Accepting the invitation. Accepting the invitation. You know, um, I heard it said this way, and I thought this helped me understand. Because I was kind of like, man, verses 19 and following, we are loaded down with some stuff. Right? We got lots of stuff to talk about. We got all those lettuce things. And then we got that end part that we don't like to talk about. It's a lot. Um, But I love this analogy. I read this in one of the commentaries, and they said this. The entire book of Hebrews is basically like we're getting ready for an invitation to a party. So the entire nine chapters of Hebrews were like we were doing all the shopping, and we were printing the invitations, and we were cleaning the house, and we were getting all ready. And then all of a sudden, he's going to issue the invitation, and you have to do what? You must respond. Got to respond. You've heard it now. You've been hearing it. Readers of Hebrews, listeners of Hebrews, Rock Point Church in Flower Mound, Texas. Now what? What are we going to do with it? It's not just a history book. It's something we have to take action on. And so we move into this whole idea of him giving us this invitation and us accepting this invitation. Verses 19 through 25. Listen, before I read those, I want you to think about something. And this was a big thought, and it was hard for me to understand because it's painful 
Um, because I think we all have people in our lives who we know are one or the other. Let me give you a truth that's not always comfortable. It's this. There, is only, there are only two consequences once you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two. So once you've heard who Jesus is, what he did, why he came, once you've heard it, two consequences. You know what they are? You either accept Jesus or you reject Jesus. That is uncomfortable, isn't it? Once you've heard the gospel, you have a decision. You're either accepting or you're rejecting. There's no middle. This is black and white. And so as we move into this invitation, we as the readers, the, the, the modern readers now of Hebrews, we also have to make that decision if we haven't already. Difficult, hard, hard stuff. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25, and we're going to talk a little bit about them as we go. Verse 19 starts with this. It says, therefore, brothers, remember we always look at the therefore and ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Therefore, brothers. The interesting part of this is when he refers to brothers here, there's, there's, you know, we've talked before about the people that are listening to this and there's a lot of different takes on who that is. Um, I, I tend to believe the uh, fact that the brothers here is referring to Jewish brothers, not necessarily Christian brothers. So really who he's speaking to here are probably both non-believers and believers, um, but, but non-believers as well who are from the Jewish heritage, okay? So therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, new covenant, right? He's referring old covenant. Now we're over here on the new covenant. The way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And I'm going to stop right there. Let me stop right there. There's one thing I want you to notice here. In this very first part, he's imploring us. He's saying this. We're making a transition. Now, all of a sudden, what we have to do is we have to take hold of this perfect sacrifice once and for all. It's a decision that has to be made. And he says it from the beginning. Brothers, now is the time. You either draw near or you don't, okay? Serious business. Doctrine has been summarized, and now we're charged with putting action to it. Now we do what James calls being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, right? It's a big decision. So he says, let us draw near. He's asking us to come in and pass this curtain that's no longer there. And now we approach the throne of God. Okay, so verse 22 goes on like this. And it starts us with those lettuce, those lettuce um, phrases that you guys talked about in homework. Verse 22 starts this way. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to stop right there. The first let us command. And this is, this is what's interesting. When you break them down, there's really three big ones. Okay, we're going to kind of group some things together. But there's really three big ones. This first one in verse 23, I mean, excuse me, verse 22, the fascinating thing about this is that's basically he's imploring to the non-believers. He's saying, okay, this one's for you guys. Ready? This one's for you. Let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. There's a lot of stuff going on in that one verse. That's a big, heavy verse. We're going to break it down a little bit. What are the things he talks about? He talks about this. When we draw near to God, we need to have a sincere heart. A sincere heart. 
You can't fake it with God. You can fake it with me because every one of you in here, you look like you are all good to go. You are good with Jesus. Everything is fine. And I know that is not true because all of us hide things well, don't we? We're pretty good at it, but not with the Lord, not with our Lord. He knows our heart. And so we approach him with this sincere heart that he truly understands. The second thing we see in this very first um, let us phrase is this, that we're to have a full assurance of faith, a full assurance of faith. What, what in the heck does that even mean, guys? What does that even mean? Listen, um, when we say faith, right, keep the faith, pray for your faith. Let me, let me say something that kind of blew my mind a little bit. You know, faith is not actually a foreign concept. Whether you believe in this whole Jesus thing or not, it is not a foreign concept. We all operate in a world of faith, don't we? Every one of us. We, we um, have this, this green stuff, or some of us have green stuff in our wallet. Some of us have little plastic things that are about this big. And we trust and believe and have faith in the fact that if I'm going, I'm not going to say Target because I say Target every time. Where else do I even go? Chick-fil-A. All right. If I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A and get some nuggets, I have complete faith I'm going to hand the guy my blue card and he's going to stick it in and go, okay, we're good to go and I'm going to get my nuggets. Right? We have faith that that's going to happen. You know what else is crazy? This is nuts. You have faith that when you buy a box at the store and that says that there's food in it, you believe that that's really food in a box. <laughs> Think about it. We might want to revise that, that belief system. But we do. We buy a box of something and we throw some water and we cook it and we think it's, it's going to be fine. And, and that's faith. We also have these switches in our houses, these light switches. And I, just this morning, guys, you ready? I walked into this room and it was dark. And I knew, I believed with all my heart and soul, with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, that if I flipped it on, the light would come on and I'd be able to see what I was doing. Right? You get what I'm saying? The idea of faith is not a foreign concept to us at all. Here's the problem. We think, we think as long as it's in our hands, as long as I have this, this tangible understanding of, okay, I flipped the light switch on before. It's going to come on again. Everything's going to be good. I'm not going to fall. It's not going to be dark. It's going to be fine. I believe that, and then I move right on. But what's really hard for us, I think, with the whole faith thing, it's hard for us to understand that faith in Christ includes our decision to trust him, but it originates with God's decision, not mine, right? That's hard. That's hard to trust. It's hard to trust things I can't see and I can't feel sometimes. God plants desires and abilities for us to believe and receive salvation. Do you realize that? Like it's not just a, just a coincidence that you just happen to be able to have this yearning to have faith in something. You have this yearning to want to receive that. There's a reason you are here. And it's not, I mean, your friends are cool and stuff, but it's not just to hang out with your friends and get free childcare. Maybe sometimes it is. <laughs> Bless your heart. What real faith is this? Faith is this. Faith requires a felt need. A felt need. I'm walking in the room. I need there to be light. I feel that there is a need. Okay? A felt need. The second thing that faith requires is an understanding of what's going to happen. I need an understanding of what I'm believing in. I need to understand that when I flip the switch, the light is going to come on and I'm going to be able to walk without falling over my dog or something. Okay? Felt need, understanding, and the last is this, and this is where I think we stumble the worst, is I need to have commitment. I need to be committed to the fact that I need that, 
and I understand what I need, and now I need to be committed to the fact that I trust that. That is so hard as believers, isn't it? Like, forget the light switch for a minute. So hard. I know that I need him. I, I do know that I need him, and I do understand what I need. And this is the second this last part that's really hard to be committed all the time. Faith requires that. And so when you see those, that term full assurance of faith, that's what he's getting at here. He's saying, guys, this is what it's about. It's about having a sincere heart that God says, yes, she, wants, she seeks me. She's not perfect, but she does. The third thing that we get out of this verse is that we are sprinkled clean. Sprinkled clean. Um, what we're talking about here is this conscience. You know, your conscience, we talked about it last week. A conscience condemns us and reminds us of sin. But Jesus, with Jesus, our conscience is clean. A lot of times when our conscience is not clean, it's really because of us, right? But honestly, when we approach the throne, what does God see? He sees Jesus. He doesn't see all the baggage that you're carrying in. He sees Jesus. And so we're sprinkled clean. The fourth thing that we learn in that verse is we are washed with pure water. And here, right here, we're not talking about the idea of baptism necessarily. We're not talking about that. What he's talking about here is he's talking about instead being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And in Titus 3.5, you can go and write that down and go look that up later. But what he's saying is it's not because of your righteousness and it's not because of all the good stuff you do and it's not because of your attendance you know, at Bible study. He's not going to look at that and go, oh, we're going to wash her clean because she was there every week even the week before spring break. But it's because of his mercy. That's it. That's it. So the, the first let us charge is really focusing on being a new believer and making that decision. And then we go into the next one, and that's in verse 23. And do you remember this one? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. I thought this quote put it perfectly, and it is painful. It's hard, but it's true. A hopeless believer is a contradiction of terms. A hopeless believer is a contradiction of terms. That's John MacArthur. He said that. It's hard sometimes, right? It's hard sometimes to hold fast to hope without wavering. Here's, here's the beauty of what this says. God knows that. You know, that's what's so cool. I think we miss this, and I would suspect that the Hebrews missed this because they were all about legalism, right? Because they're all about doing and doing and doing. And we got all these things we got to do, we got to do, we got to do. And it was probably really hard for them just to rest and go, I am going to be terrible at this sometimes. But Jesus is not. It's hard for me. I'm sure it was hard for them. How did they even get their brain around that? They've been doing for so long. Have you been doing for so long, have you been doing and trying to get it right? And the whole time, Jesus is like, hey, sister, all that doing, you're just, just calm down. I'm good. That's what I thought about when I thought about hold fast. We can go and have confidence because God can be depended on to do what God says he'll do. Not because you need to do this so that you make everybody happy. Not because you need to do this so it appears as though you have a strong faith even though you're going through troubling circumstances. Not you have to do this. Instead, how about forget all that and go, okay, God, I'm going to believe you and trust you and the rest of it, I'm just going just gonna to let it go. Hard. Hard to do. 
Let us hold fast to confession of our hope without wavering. A hopeless believer is a contradiction of terms. How do you hold fast? That little term is so cute and precious. How do we do it? I wrote down three things that we do to hold fast to our confession of hope. Three things. The first is this. Practice sound doctrine. Practice sound doctrine. Now, forget about that churchy word for a minute and don't get wigged out. Here's the deal. What you have to do, what you get to do is investigate and learn what you say you believe. You know, that's what convicted me a few years ago when I started doing Bible studies. I remember one person asked me one time, so you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I totally am a Christian because I have a fish on my necklace (laughs) and on my car. (laughs) Not with feet, Shelly, not with feet. (laughs) You're a Christian? Well, what does that mean? And I'm like, it means that Jesus is my Savior and that's all I need to know. And then it's like, Okay, smarty pants. And this girl flat out asked me, well, what is this for then? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. What is this for? That's the thing. It's like, if I say I believe this, guys, open it up and figure out what it says. And you're not going to understand every bit of it, but God will honor that. Has he honored it so far? You are in the 10th chapter of Hebrews and you still came back. He is honoring it. I'm barely here with you guys. I am right with you. Will you believe that the fact that he left us this, the fact that he speaks to us through this, that he tells us every promise we could ever want to know, everything about him that we ever need to know is in this? So then I would challenge you to practice sound doctrine and investigate and try to figure out what you know. I love this quote. John Wooden said this. He was a great coach. And he said, the worst thing about new books is that they keep us from reading old books. It's true, right? How many of us are searching for our theology and our doctrine in blogs and in Facebook posts and in um, quick, easy self-help books? I mean, cool, guys. Those are super cool and stuff. But if you're not going here first for your truth, that's why we talk about don't go to commentaries to tell you what God wants to tell you. Go after, but try Try to see what he's trying to tell you first. It's not easy. It's hard. But hard stuff is worth it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Right? The second thing to do, how do you hold fast, is rely on the sufficiency of Christ. Rely on the sufficiency of Christ. What does that mean? It means put your focus on who he is, not who you are. It means let God be God and let you be you. I say that all the time, guys, because you can tell I struggle with that. I'm always like, okay, Becky told me that years ago. Let God be God, let Chris be Chris, and just be okay with that. Keep your eyes on him when you step out of the boat. You know, even when your plan isn't jiving just the way you want it to, trust God, right? There's a great Corey Ten Boom quote that I love so very much, and she says this. She says, when a train goes through a tunnel, it gets dark. You don't throw away the ticket and jump off the train, You sit still and you trust the engineer, right? We don't rely on the engineer. We rely on the Chris plan. And I'll promise you, the Chris plan is pretty terrible. Ask everybody that's my friend in this room. When I'm left to my own devices, things get super ugly. And no offense, bless your heart, but I'm sure it's the same with you. Rely on his sufficiency. Holding fast means one other thing that that I I felt. I, I felt like most importantly it means trust that he is faithful. 
Trust that he is faithful. Trust that he always keeps his promises. There's not an asterisk next to his promises. It's not, I will keep my promise except for when things are bad. I will keep my promise except when your spouse leaves you. I will keep my promise except for when your child gets sick. I will keep my promise except for when you do this. It doesn't say that. It says, I will keep my promises. That's who I am. That's who God is. You can call on him. He will answer you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He will hem you in. He has his hand on your head as you're treasuring through these mountainous trails that are so hard. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is your rock. He is the lifter of your head. All these things, guys, I didn't make them up. They're in here. That's who he is. Trust that he is faithful and trust that he keeps his promises. That's how we hold fast. Okay, so the last, the last let us um, charge that we have here is this. Let us consider how to stir one another up. Remember that one? Let us consider how to stir one another up. It goes on, and there's actually a couple other parts. It starts in, um, excuse me, verse 24, and it says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day is drawing near. Listen, what we need to understand as believers, what we must understand is that we were never intended to do this alone. You were never intended to do this alone. I've met so many people that are like, I don't go to church. My faith is a private thing. It's a personal, private thing. Well, okay, cool. You know, personal is one thing. Private is another thing. This was not intended to be this private little thing that you do all by yourself. Because I promise you this. Hey, Lone Rangers, there is nothing that is going to push you farther back into that part. Remember when we said where you're going to stay, stay um, living on the milk instead of the meat? Remember that? There's nothing that will push you back faster than doing it alone. Amen? I guarantee you, you came here today, and if you didn't come with a friend or were encouraged by a friend, you have probably made a friend. And there's probably people here that when you feel like not coming, you think, oh, I got to come. Heather's going to cry if I don't come. Oh, I got to come. Evelyn's making hot sauce. I got to come for that. There's purpose in that. Do you know that our God, that is our God. That's how much he loves us. He loves you so much. He put these girls in here in your life right now for a reason. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. He says here, let us consider to stir one another up. We need to find ways to motivate each other rather than compete with each other. Listen, um, just like my Cutlass Supreme, the only other thing that makes me think of Jesus more is basketball. And so I'm sure you're all like, I am checking out right now. If anybody follows the Mavericks, anybody follow the Mavericks? What happened last night? Dirk hit 30,000 points. Only six guys have done that. And they're all like, you know, all the names that you know. Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bryant and all these crazy. And Dirk did it last night. He hit 30,000 points. It's a big deal. If you don't know, it's a pretty big deal. Here's the thing. He didn't do it by himself. Would that have been funny? That would have been an interesting thing, 30,000 points by yourself. My husband is a coach when my son was younger, and he used to always say the very best thing to teach a player about not being selfish is when they don't pass the ball and they're not being a good team player. Is He's always had this dream, and I do believe someday this will be fulfilled. So watch out if my husband coaches your kid. He's like, my dream is when I have a selfish player to call timeout and say, all right, everybody, he thinks he can do it, so we're all going to stay here, and we're going to let him go out by himself. 
He wants to do that so badly. So really, I really say, if your kid's on my husband's team, you might want to rethink. But it's true, right? Like, isn't that the truth? All you need to figure out how bad you need a team is to hang out by yourself for a little while, right? I thought about basketball because, like I said, um, I think about basketball. And I started thinking, like, when you're a good team player and when you're trying to get um, your superstar to 30,000 points, you know what you think about a lot? You think about how you can get, get him open and how you can get him opportunity to rise up, right? You think about what's the best place that I can pass the ball? Where can I set a pick? Y'all are glazing over right now. <laughs> Stay with me. You look at it like, what can I do to elevate him? Not how do I pad my stats, right? Are we doing that? Are we padding our stats? Am I trying to lift myself up or am I looking around the room and go, I gotta lift my people up? Am I a good example? Am I leading well by lifting up? Am I looking to be lifted up myself or am I the lifter? Do I want the credit? When I'm around friends, do I want to be the one that's got the spotlight on me? That, that's a good question. And so that's what he's saying here. He's not just saying, stir one another up and we're going to kumbaya together in the living room and we're going to have a small group together. No, he's not just saying that. He's saying you motivate each other. He's saying it's about teamwork. It's about not competing. It's about we're all on the same team and we need each other. That's what he's saying. Listen, um, as we move to the last section that I have conveniently not left a lot of time for, but we're going we're gonna to go there. We now move from, okay, we've talked about accepting that invitation. I've given you this invitation, right, to come to Jesus. Now he moves into some hard truths that we want to skip, don't we? Verses 26 through 39, he starts talking about the dangers of rejection, the dangers of rejecting the invitation. This is hard. This is hard stuff. And you know why it's hard? And I'm going to not look at anybody's eyeballs when I say this. You know why? Because we are soft people. We are soft. Here's what we are. We are real heavy on grace and we are real light on justice and wrath, aren't we? As believers, we can pretend to be a little superficial because we're like, well, God is love. Yeah, guys, God is love. But what else is God? What did we learn in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John? God is truth. And they are not independent of one another. God of love is the God of truth. Let me tell you something that it was really hard for me to think about this week. When I read these verses, it was so difficult. But I realized, um, do you know that... Without wrath or judgment, there's no need for Jesus. Ever thought of that? The gospel of Jesus Christ makes no sense without the wrath of God. That is not easy to face. But we have a God who is so full of love that he loves us so much that he gives us an escape. He does. And so a lot of us tend to focus on the wrath God and we forget the love God we do don't we but then some of us focus on the the love thing and we're like I don't even want to read that part I'm gonna skip that part and I'm gonna leave early I get it we're soft hey I don't even watch the news guys so it's because I can't handle it I don't want to deal with it I don't want to face it and that's what this is so you know what we're gonna do we're gonna face it we're gonna deal with it we're gonna hit it head on I'm gonna read verses 26 through 31 and I don't want you to cover your ears I want you to hear it again and we're gonna talk about a couple things Verse 26 starts 
It starts in verse 26 with this. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I'm going to stop right there. He is talking here about this deliberate rejection, a choice made by a non-believer. Be clear. A choice made by a non-believer who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and has said, you know what? Super cool for you. Totally don't need it. I'm out. That's what he's talking about. So don't read that and go, oh my gosh. Okay, I go on sinning deliberately. Okay, I did cut that girl off in traffic the other day. Um, so that was that count. Oh my gosh, uh, I received the knowledge and no longer have a sacrifice for sins. Do I got to go back and get a goat? And what do I do? You do nothing if you know Jesus as your Savior. Amen. Because he was the permanent and complete sacrifice. Permanent and complete. Do not get mixed up in semantics. Okay, what he's saying here is if you are not a believer and you have then been presented with the beautiful gospel of truth of Jesus Christ and then you say, nah, I'm out. That's who we're talking about. Are we clear? Clear? It's important. Here's what we have to remember. You didn't earn your salvation. You don't have to work to keep it either. Jesus did all that stuff. It's not your job, okay? That's important that you understand. So moving on into verse 27, he says this, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses and dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has, number one, trampled underfoot the Son of God, number two, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and number three, has outraged the Spirit of grace. That is heavy, hard stuff. That is God of wrath stuff. That's what that is. You're facing it head on, and I'm proud of you. It doesn't make it easy. Right here, we have started, remember we talked um, a couple weeks ago that in Hebrews he gives us like five um, warnings. This is by far the harshest one. He gave us in chapters one and two the danger of drifting away from the truth. Remember we talked about that. There's a danger of drifting. And then, and then the second was the danger of doubting or not entering rest with belief. And that's chapters three and four. And then there was this danger of degenerating, which means going back to those elementary principles. And this one is the scariest of them all. And they all progress. Do you see that? They all progress. This one is the danger of despising the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The danger of despising that perfect sacrifice of Jesus. They have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have willingly ignored it and turned their backs on it. He talks there about the punishment that would have come if they would have opposed the law of Moses. But then it's a progressive thing. He says, hey guys, remember how bad that was and how nobody wanted to, to argue with tablets and stuff? Okay, this is way worse. Things are going to get really bad. The word apostasy is what's used here. And if you've never heard that word before, it's a yucky, ugly word, and it means this. It means a deliberate, willful unbelief. It's, it's important that you understand it's deliberate and it's willful. It's not, don't get confused with sins of ignorance or, um, or, or, or people that haven't been given the gospel. Okay, that's so very important to understand. This is a choice. This is a, you have presented me with the gospel of Jesus and I have said, no thanks. Okay, 
apostasy. Truth is known and recognized. Truth is rejected. Hebrews promises both joy, but it also gives a warning of pain. And it's hard. And it's really hard. It's really hard when you've got family members or friends who are not believers, isn't it? Really hard. We don't want to talk about it. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just just not do that. Well, how about this? Um, I was reminded recently about that, what's his name? Penn Teller. You know, he's that um, magician and he is not a believer. And he had said um, once that a guy sent him a Bible and he's still not a believer, but he's like, you know what I thought? I thought if, if, if every Christian really believed what they say they believe, wouldn't they try to tell us? Wouldn't they try to tell those of us that they think are eternally damned? Wouldn't they try to tell us more? Whoa, that was convicting from a non-believer. Do we? Do, do we realize that this is true and this is real just as much truth as God that loved us so much that sent Jesus? It's just as much true. It's hard. He is not only just and wrathful. He is not only love. He is both. Love demands action. And as much as it pains him as this father who loves us, there are consequences that we have to face. So hard, right? It's truth, though, and we got to look at it. We can't be soft. We got to face it, and we got to deal with it. Verses 32 and 39 move into kind of a different motivation, and I'm going to leave you with these. Help us cleanse our palate a little bit from that last part. He urges them to look back and also look forward, doesn't he? He's trying so hard to motivate them to take this step to accept Jesus as their foundation because we're moving into a few chapters that are so cool, so cool, because now we're like putting faith to action. We're doing it. And so he wants them to understand. So you know what he says to them? This is how he motivates them. He says, okay, the whole wrath thing, you understand that because you've grown up in this Hebrew society. You get that. So you understand that. But let me give you another way to think. Think about this. Remember all the times that you were bought into the Jesus thing? Remember all the times that you were in community with other believers and you were doing that thing? Remember And remember when hard times came, remember how great it was to have community. And remember when hard times came that you had some hope. He's he's having him look back. And I thought, man, I got to do that too. You know, faith is remembering. Faith is remembering what God has done and where he's brought you, even when you didn't recognize it. Amen? Can you look back now and go, whoa, man, he took me places that I didn't want to go, but he was never, never gone. And he was always, always in charge. That's what he's saying. Remember, don't quit. Look back. Remain diligent. Jill Briscoe says it like this. When we're fearful, in fear, we receive courage after we step out in obedience. After we step out in obedience. That's changed the way I pray. I'm not praying anymore for courage. I'm praying for willful obedience to God because these people were afraid. And listen, when he was saying, let's meet together in community, a lot of them didn't want to do that because there was persecution coming down on the church. And if they met together, that was, there was fingers pointing. Oh, that's a church, right? So it was a lot easier to say, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm good. And so that's one of the things he's saying is like, you were fearful, but remember back where you have come from when you were afraid, when things were hard. And then finally, look forward. Look forward to the blessings that are promised. There is a promised land and eternal life secured once 
permanently and completely. And reliance alone on him and not on me and not on the stuff I do is the only way to get there. We will face opposition. He says we. Did you see that in verse 39? Remember, he's mostly talking probably to non-believers at this point. But he says this. He closes with this. But we are not those who shrink back. Amen. And we are not and not excuse me, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He says, we, that is we. We will face opposition. Accepting this and moving on, it, it, it's this part of the deal. It's no guarantee that your train ain't gonna go through a dark tunnel, right? It's going to. Keep moving, keep trusting. Faith is remembering and trust is stepping forward. What are you gonna do with him? with Jesus, with the perfect sacrifice. I'm gonna pray. Father, um, we thank you for hard truths. We pray, um, strengthen us. Strengthen us in our beliefs. Help us believe, um, even when it's hard, God, because it is hard sometimes. And so, Father, we ask that you help us as we step out and, and show us where are we supposed to be doing our faith? Where are we supposed to be um, those folks who actually do say, you know what, I believe this stuff, and so I want you to know this too. Show us those places. And we thank you so much for your son in Jesus' name. Amen.